It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello, Merry Britmas listeners. I'm back with my second episode of 2022. It's now May, which means it's only a month until half Christmas. Although the festive celebrations never stop in this community. In this month's episode, I thought I'd look at a Christmas episode of a classic beloved 70s sitcom that I'm not hugely familiar with personally, called Porridge and an entire album by an ex-footballer turned pundit and minor British celebrity called Chris Kamara. I'm also continuing my wartime stories and accounts from the brilliant book Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart, and will share some stories about how Brits dealt with bombing raids during the month of December. Let's get going. Ronnie Barker was a national treasure, a comedian, an actor, who found fame as part of a comedic duo called The Two Ronnies, alongside Ronnie Corbett. Their comedy sketch show made them household names, and they even did many festive shows with celebrity guests galore, performing amidst the buffoonery of The Two Ronnies. Both maintained solo careers though, and Ronnie Barker stepped into the role of Norman Fletcher, a prisoner at a fictional prison called HMP Slade. The TV show Porridge started airing in 1974, and ran for three seasons until 1977. It was originally called Prisoner and Escort, but became Porridge after a successful pilot. Porridge being both the usual depressing breakfast of a prisoner and a slang term for a prison sentence. The writers of the show, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, spoke to a former prisoner to try and get an authentic look at life on the inside. The idea of small victories kept coming up, and they thought that a prisoner looking for little victories to make life more bearable was where the humour could be found. The show was a huge success, and only Corbett's desire to move on and not be stuck with the character caused the end. However, a one-series sequel called Going Straight, and a feature-length TV film followed, in 1978 and 79. The original show has been hailed as a classic of British TV, ranked 35th of the greatest British TV programmes by the BFI, and placing 7th in a poll to find the best British sitcom. I never really watched the show at any point myself, being too young to watch it when it was released and not quite catching up as a youngster. I've seen a bunch of episodes growing up, so was quite aware of the show and always found it somewhat amusing on in the background, my dad laughing along. But I don't think I'd ever seen any of the two Christmas specials, so I decided to watch the first one called No Way Out, which aired December 24th, 1975. Before we discuss the story, a note that a secondary character is important, played by the late Robert Beckinsale, father of Kate Beckinsale. He's called Lenny, and he's a naive new inmate who Fletcher kind of looks out for, which involves giving lots of information about prison life, which kind of helps the viewer reveal the narrative and the information you need. The episode starts with some festive caroling from the prisoners, but Fletcher's not that impressed and reveals why they're actually singing. You hear the carols? Yeah, shut the door, will you? Why? Don't you like it? They've been at it two hours, they only know four carols. The words of one of them's a bit suspect and all. 
Shepherds didn't wear socks in them days, either. <laughs> I find it rather moving. All them blokes united in the common exaltation of the great occasion. Don't be daft. They are singing, my son, to drown the noise of Tommy Slocum's tunnelling. <laughs> tunnelling? Yeah, that's the big occasion around here. It's not the coming of our Lord, it's the going of Tommy Slocum. <laughs> Even the tree is apparently used for illegitimate purposes. Yes, yeah, very useful, that tree. Useful? Yeah, for stashing Christmas contraband. All them dingly dangly inside a multitude of sin, you know. <laughs> Even the fairy on the top's got two ounces of tobacco stuffed up her tutu. And the turkey inside isn't an appealing idea. I mean, do we? Do we get turkey? Well, they call it turkey, don't they? But not having seen it carved, we don't know, do we? I mean, if it is, then the one we had on our block last year must have been a very funny shape. <laughs> 28 legs and no breast. <laughs> Fletcher's worried about getting caught up in the escape and wants to stay away from it all. This escape is going to implicate us all, whether we like it or not. But Slocum's such a despicable nerd, nobody's going to lift a finger to help him. Slocum happens to be the brother-in-law of a big villain up the smoke, right, who is also a colleague of genial Harry Grout. Now, Harry's got the word, get the kid away for Christmas, right, so he's running this caper. And as a result, if we are asked to assist, we are in no position to refuse, are we? Eh? Otherwise, we'll wake up one morning and find two more things hanging on the Christmas tree. <laughs> he decides to try and spend Christmas in the infirmary and tries it on with the doctor, but gets some short shrift from him. Out of here, Fletcher. No, I've got my white card. Out, out, out. I'm sick. Out! I'm entitled. Years of medical practice have enabled me to tell at a glance if a man is sick or not. You're a perfect specimen of manhood, Fletcher. It's not that I've come about, it's me knee. <laughs> What's wrong with your knee? Ask me to stand on one leg. What? Go on, ask me to stand on one leg. Go on, ask him. There's no harm in that. <laughs> All right. Stand on one leg. Oh! <laughs> and you call yourself a doctor? And the doctor does have a Christmas cake, apparently, for the patients. What's that? It's a Christmas cake. I get one every year. Who for? The patients in the infirmary. You never allow any patients in your infirmary. That's true. I always take it home for the wife. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a turn up for the book, isn't it, in prison, eh? What? A fire with a cake in it. <laughs> but the doctor sends him away and Fletcher is not happy. I'm sending you to a civilian hospital for x-ray and specialist examination. You'll be there and back in a day, and then the matter will be irrevocably closed. Look, why waste the taxpayer's money? I know my knee. All I need to do is lie down just for a day or two, that's all. On your way, Fletcher. You're a liar and a malingerer. Harsh words, Doctor. Harsh words in this season of peace and goodwill to all men. I hope your conscience pricks you, that's all. <laughs> you can say a little prayer for me on Christmas morning. Next! Yes, I will. You don't mind if I say it's standing up, do you? I can't kneel down, I've got a bad knee. <laughs> Fletcher is then pulled into assisting with the escape by Harry Grout, who asks him to pick something up from a civilian hospital outside of the prison. There'll be a package. Oh. Someone, somewhere, sometime. No sweat. Look, Harry, I'm going to be under constant escort, innit? I'm not just getting the bus down there doing a bit of last-minute Christmas shopping. <laughs> It's only a small package, a blank passport. Inky Stevens needs one to give Slocum a more acceptable identity. But Fletcher does not feel comfortable in this new surrounding with the prison officer, Barraclough. 
How much longer are we going to sit in this drafty corridor, then? What is the matter with you, Fletcher? You're, you're very ill at ease, you know. Now, you try and enjoy yourself. Cheer up. Have another biscuit. Mm, it's your attitude that's putting me off. All this bon on me just because it's Christmas. Have another biscuit. <laughs> Next thing we know, Mr Mackay will be round tucking us up in bed at night. <laughs> now then, Fletcher, you know, Mr Mackay is no different from anyone else. Outside the grim grey walls of our institution, you'll find he's quite an amiable man. Amiable? Well, on Tuesday he stroked a dog. <laughs> Back into prison, and Grout wants to ask more of Fletcher and Lenny. Because I would like to elicit the help of you and the lad a little bit further. Oh, Harry, haven't I done my bit? You see, it's the tunnel. Oh, now look, before you go any further, the lad suffers from claustrophobia, and look at the shape of me, a ferret I ain't. <laughs> Oh, it's nothing physical. I just want you to join the choir. Oh, well, yeah. See, they've come up against a very stony bit, very noisy, so we need all the fortissimo we can get. Oh, yeah, well, my pleasure, Grouty. Yeah, I enjoy a good sing, yeah. We used to do a lot of it when we was down in Maidstone Jar, you know, working on the prison farm down there. Church hymns, mostly. One of the favourites with the lads was uh, We Plough the Fields and Scatter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the harsh prison officer, Mr Mackay, is suspicious and he stops the choir from singing. Deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was When a Scotsman came inside, all it... That'll do, Fletcher! <laughs> and then Christmas is cancelled. It's on a notice board. It's official. What is? Christmas is cancelled. <laughs> It's there. It's on the board. It says, there will be no Christmas Eve, Christmas Day or Boxing Day. Just the 24th, 25th and 26th of December. Not much point in finishing these then, is there? I told you, didn't I? What, about the equilibrium being disturbed? Disturbed? It's been turned upside down, my son. God, isn't it marvellous, eh? Isn't it marvellous? You go right through the year, don't you? You tickle along all through the year, keeping your nose clean, and then suddenly, through sheer intimidation, we all get dropped right in the Yuletide clarts. <laughs> But Fletcher provides some hope for Grouty. Because while they're still full of self-congratulatory ardour, you can get Tommy away in a dust cart or something, can't you? Eh? That should please your powers up the smoke. Here. Here, you have had a thought, haven't you, Fletch? <laughs> Save your face, Grouty. That it would. It would appear to be a perfectly executed plan. <laughs> You're not wrong, son. Tip the governor off, then. No. I think Mackay should find it. In fact, if you give me the blueprints of the tunnel, I might be able to arrange that he drops right in it. <laughs> he tries to lead Mackie to fall into the tunnel, but then does so himself in proper sitcom slapstick fashion. And I'm not falling for it. No, you're not, are you? <laughs> Look, Mr McCarm, I'm only trying to explain my position. <laughs> oh! He does end up eating his Christmas dinner in the infirmary as he wanted all along. Along with another gift from Grouty. Oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, oh. What's this, Cuban cigars? They're from Grouty. Are they? Where did you get these from? I don't know. <laughs> where, where did B-Block get their goose? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, that's from me. A bit mundane after cigars, but uh, I knitted them myself. Oh, did you? Knit them yourself? Oh, they nice. <laughs> Lovely, aren't they? Eh? I'll, uh, I'll have to wear the other one and I get a bandage off, see? Because I, I, I. Oh, God. The mittens. <laughs> and finally, Mackay drops by with a gift of whiskey for some more information. 
Just between you and me. Is that door closed? Oh, yes. And there's no one outside. Christmas present. Christmas present. You want to know how they disposed of the soil? Simple as that. I'll tell you. I thought you might. They dug another tunnel and put the earth down there. An interesting episode, and a random aside, is that Christopher Biggins is in this series as a prisoner, leading the choir in this episode. He's become a bit of a Christmas icon here in the UK from appearances in numerous pantos across the country. The problem with porridge is that there's slightly casually off-tone references to gay and black people that's just disconcerting in 2022, especially having not watched it before. The language used is just odd to hear in a mainstream TV show now. It makes me wince when I hear it, even knowing it's a decades-old show. There are also background images of women in, let's say, scantily clad clothing in his cell and on a Christmas card that he's making, something I feel which would not be appropriate in a modern sitcom that's aimed at general audiences. Aside from those issues, it was funnier than I thought it might be, using slapstick and wordplay to good effect. The double entendre, a classic of British sitcoms, worked quite well, and Barker is a master of the double look, the side-eye, the knowing glance. It was oddly festive too, with carol singing, presents and festive chat galore, albeit in unusual circumstances. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing their next Christmas special, perhaps in a few months' time. In the last episode, I began a new ongoing section for this year on Christmas in the UK during World War II thanks to a great book called Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart. She gathered interviews and accounts of various people from across the UK on all aspects of life at Christmas during wartime. Last month I looked at the evacuee children who left the big cities for the countryside. This week I wanted to share what life was like for those people left in those cities, facing bombing and all manner of other issues, even during the seasonal period. Cities came under heavy bombardment throughout the war, with Hull having 95% of its home damaged and half of its population made homeless. Galvanised steel shelters were produced for the population to be put together and put up at home, given free to anyone earning less than £5 a week, which meant a lot of people, with the average factory wage being about £4 a week. Shelters were often shared between neighbours and of course those that didn't have one would seek out shared shelter already existing, such as in school grounds or most famously the London Underground. A Londoner called Viola kept a diary, and the records of her Christmas Eve and Christmas Day tell an interesting story. Christmas Eve. I've trailed ivy and glitter down the sides of the cellar, and pinned up some very old Christmas cards sent when I was a baby. How queer it all seems. No warning yet. 7.15pm, so I'm alone down here. I've decorated the little tree, but you'll have to grope for it in the dark tomorrow as breakfast will be before light. It's only dim light at 8.30am, but on the other hand, having tea at 4.30 we always have it in daylight. Christmas Day. A quiet night and day. Ivan decorated the cellar as well as the hall, and there are fairy lights down here. I got up at 6.45am, the queerest Christmas morning, but happy, and we had our gifts at breakfast and then went into the breakfast room to receive his to us. We walked to church down Brighton Road, but walked back via Langley Park, and Sylvia conducted the tour by pointing out where bombs had fallen, and we stopped and looked at a demolished house with only the staircase left above the ground floor, a depressing walk home. It did seem strange when we walked to church to see Sylvia, Hilda, Ivan and Jay, all with their gas masks slung on their backs. I looked out for others and saw none at all. I wonder if they were the only ones who took them. When I told Hilda, she said the government asked everyone to carry them, and she felt only right to do so, as they asked. <laughs> 
Roy, a 10-year-old living in London, recounts his experience of Christmas. For night after night after night, the sirens had always sounded, any time from about 4 o'clock onwards. If they didn't sound, people used to say, they're a bit late tonight, aren't they? It's 20 past 6. The evening raids would be intermittent, but by 9 o'clock, the pattern was familiar, the constant drone. If they were late, people were unsettled. Then the air raid siren would go and everyone would say, thank goodness for that, now we can get some sleep. But that evening, Christmas Eve, nothing happened. All the regulars were down in the shelter, it was where we lived. We had 12 bunks, perhaps 30 feet square, quite spacious. If a raid was particularly heavy, there'd be people standing at the top of the steps shouting, any room down there? But usually it was the same 12. At first, we'd had a gramophone, but it had a short life. The stylus wore out and of course you couldn't replace them. Still, we'd only had a few records and were sick of them anyway. There was a toilet pan, surrounded by a curtain. People used to time their bodily functions to coincide with bombs or gunfire or aircraft flying overhead to give themselves privacy. Anyway, on Christmas Eve people were saying, Where are they? It's got to about 8 o'clock. Nothing. Where are the buggers? The evening went on into the night. Still nothing. Nobody could sleep. Someone would doze off, then wake up and say, Have the sirens gone? No, someone else would say. The next morning everyone was too tired because they'd hardly had any sleep. It was very unsettling not being bombed. It turned out there'd been an unofficial truce. The Germans had decided to give us the night off because it was Christmas, and we'd done the same to them. London was not the only place affected though, with Manchester and Salford facing raids that killed hundreds and destroying buildings like the cathedral. Millie lived there at the time and was a young mother. We didn't have a shelter because we lived in a terrace house with a long thin garden. We would have had to put half of it in our garden and half in the neighbours. Lots of people did this and shared, but my neighbour didn't want one, so that was that. Maybe he wanted to grow vegetables. Instead of the Anderson shelter, we had a Morrison shelter in the living room. The sides were made of wire mesh and could be lifted off or on, and there was mattress and bedding inside. The top was very strong to protect us in case there was an explosion and the ceiling fell in. My son and I slept in it most nights, with my baby daughter in a wicker basket on top. So any time the sirens went off, I could nip out and pull her into the shelter. That's what I did during the night before Christmas Eve 1940, during what came to be called the Manchester Blitz. I'd had trouble getting the children to sleep, and had just dropped off when the siren sounded. I staggered out of bed, grabbed the basket and pulled it into the shelter without waking up. A few minutes later, I turned over and felt the contents of the basket crunch beneath me. It wasn't the baby's basket at all. It was the paper and string saved from last year that I was going to use to wrap presents the next day. I'd forgotten I'd left it on top of the shelter. Believe me, I was wide awake by this time, unable to pull my baby to safety. And finally, David recalls how Cardiff was also affected. We weren't bombed every night, but we were bombed a lot, including one time very early in the new year, which made the Christmas tree wobble. One mine destroyed six houses in the terrace, half a mile away. There was a big bang! The incendiary bombs were the real worry, because in those terraces you could walk from one house to another through the loft space, or if a fire caught hold, a whole row could go up. My family weren't churchgoers. We had some missionaries down the road who dragged me there once or twice, but it wasn't our thing. One thing I do remember though is the warmth of all the neighbours. At Christmas, and particularly at New Year, almost everyone would be outside in the street, wishing each other well. The atmosphere was much warmer than you get today, and you might expect. Again, that idea of people coming together and celebrating, making the best of it, providing hospitality and care and kindness for each other was a vital aspect of holidays in the most desperate and difficult times. I hope we all heed this message more in our future, as I feel it's needed more than ever.
I usually pick one Christmas song to explore British covers of, or select a few tracks linked by genre or theme to end the episode on. This time I thought I'd dip into one particular artist who has released two Christmas albums in the last few years. However, they're not the usual sort of musician you'd expect to put out a record. In fact, he's not really a singer at all. He's a footballer, and now a pundit, commentating on football games, and presenting on television. His name is Chris Kamara, and he's fast become a beloved minor B-list celebrity here in the UK. Also known as Cammy, we can start all the way back with his birth, because he was born, appropriately, on Christmas Day, 25th of December 1957. He became a professional footballer throughout the 80s and 90s, playing for teams like Brentford, Portsmouth, Swindon and Stoke. He also managed for a short while in the 90s, but then moved to broadcasting instead, working for Sky Sports, commentating on games and chatting football on TV, especially with his catchphrase. Unbelievable, Jeff! <laughs> he quite famously also went viral after missing an important event during a match, not realising that a player had been sent off. And we're off to Fratton Park, where there's been a red card, but for who, Chris Kamara? I don't know, Jeff, has it? I must have missed that. Red card. Chris, have you not been watching? I haven't. I don't know where that's come from, Chris. I have no idea what has happened there. What's happened, Chris? Uh, I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The rain must have got in my eyes, Jeff. Chris, Chris, let me tell you, according, according to our sources, Anthony Van Den Boer has been sent off for a second bookable offence. Get, get your fingers oh, out and count up the number of Portsmouth players who are on the field. No, you're right. I saw him go off, but I thought they were bringing a sub on, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> then, for some reason, in 2019, he decided to release a Christmas album called Here's to Christmas. The snowman brings the snow Well, he just might like to know He put a great big smile Upon somebody's face If you jump into your bed Quickly cover up your head Don't you lock the door You know the sweet Santa Claus is on He said he'd always been a fan of big band music and wanted to make something fun to get people into the swing of Christmas. He'd sung earlier that year for a TV show called All Together Now, singing Elton John's Your Song, and a record label apparently got in touch after that performance. There are ten tracks on the album, and all but one are covers of classics like Winter Wonderland. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is the new bird Who sings a love song as we stroll along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can And Jingle Bells Playing song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride on a one-horse open sleigh A day or two ago There is an original, though, 
the not bad title song Here's to Christmas. Here's to the season, happy holiday. Here's to our near friends and those far away. We're building snowmen as those snowflakes fall. Wet through and frozen from our slip and slide and snowball fighting. Cold winds are blowing, we want tucked up tight. They'll dream of Saint Nick tonight. The album got to number eight in the UK charts, undoubtedly as a great fun Christmas present. I think my brother got one for Christmas, and somehow had it signed by Cammy himself. His cover of Santa Baby is not quite a classic in my opinion though. An awful good boy, Santa Baby, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa Baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa Baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all those ladies that I haven't kissed. Next year I could be just as good if you check off my... He then released a second Christmas album a year later called And A Happy New Year. This one has more covers, including a personal favourite British classic, I Believe in Father Christmas. They said there'll be snow at Christmas They said there'll be peace on earth But instead it just kept on raining Veil tears for the virgin birth I remember one Christmas morning A winter's light and a distant choir And the feel of the bell and that Christmas tree smell And their eyes full of tinsel and fire And the Christmas song. At your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Ends appropriately, of course, with a happy new year. Two kin and friends who've passed with hope of change at last. Go dry away those tears and wish for better years. Reflect but not rewind. It's resolution time. This party's just begun Countdown from ten to one So next month is half Christmas and we shall be celebrating as always here on Merry Britsmas. Do get in touch via Facebook, Instagram or Twitter to chat to me or share thoughts so I can share them on my next episode. Are you a fervent fan of Kamara's Christmas music? Or does it have you screaming at the referee in outrage? 
Are you a Porridge fan? And if so, what do you think of their Christmas episode? Or let me know how you're celebrating half Christmas. And happy blooming Christmas to you and all.